Well, let us, uh, let's open with prayer. Our Father, we thank you for this day. It is truly a gift that you have given to us and to be able to gather with people of like precious faith is also a wonderful privilege. We thank you for the faithfulness that you display to each of us on a day-by-day basis, providing for our needs, giving us the health necessary to do the tasks that are before us on a daily basis. We ask our Father that as we enjoy the camaraderie of those of the family of God that we would grow in our appreciation for each one of them as well as each one of the people that uh, they will even come in contact with. We ask our Father that we would recognize that the things that uh, come our way in life are not accidents but they are by design so that we will be the kind of people that can minister to others. We ask our Father that this day would be a day that is significant in our spiritual development. May we be responsive and receptive to the things that we are exposed to. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We are talking about the tongue, the most dangerous organ in our body. How many of you would drink to that? No, not drink to that. <laughs> it's, uh, it's interesting that when you come to the subject of the tongue, uh, I went on the internet to see if I could find some interesting quotes about the tongue, and there are many. There are many. I will, however, tell you that uh, the best quotes that you will find anywhere are in the Bible. Uh, a lot of things are said about the tongue. But you know, aside from the book of Proverbs, the book of James chapter 3 gives us more details about the pros and cons of the tongue than any other place in literature. Uh, I know of no treatise on the pros and cons of speaking and the tongue and all the things the tongue can do in a positive way and all the things can do the tongue can do in a negative way. When you come to Proverbs, or excuse me, James chapter 3, verse 1 through 12, particularly, you discover that here the writer of Scripture, through God the Holy Spirit, cuts right to the very chase of everything. And so we're talking about taming the tongue. And uh, there's an interesting story uh, about a pastor who had a uh, person in their church, in the church he was pastoring. And uh, this individual was, a, a, now I'm not, I'm not highlighting any gender, all right? It's just a person. This person was a notorious gossip, spent all kinds of time on the phone spreading little tidbits about people and stuff of that nature, and it was extremely disruptive to the church family, and everybody knew this was a major problem in the church, and they wondered, how in the world can we uh, 
solve this problem? Well, through a series of activities and exposures, this particular individual uh, became extremely convicted about the tongue and their use of the tongue. So they came to the pastor, acknowledged that they recognized it was a problem, and they said, Pastor, uh, I, I, I really want to solve this problem. By the way, this is a joke, okay? All right, <laughs> so get ready to laugh. <laughs> uh, I really want to solve this problem. And the pastor said, well, how, how do you think we should solve the problem? And the individual said, well, I would like to lay my tongue on the altar. <laughs> and the pastor said, there is not an altar big enough. <laughs> so uh, sometimes the tongue can really get us in trouble. It has been said that the tongue is only uh, about three to six inches long. It is just a muscle, but it is something that can break bones and break hearts. And of course, that is true of the tongue. So as we look today at James chapter 3, uh, let's, uh, let's expose ourselves to this truth and find out exactly what God tells us about the tongue. When we come to James chapter 3, we are looking specifically at the context of the book of James. And I think that it's fair to say that what James is talking about is uh, we're going to get into all kinds of difficult situations in life. And uh, I have suggested to you that the trials that we can go through are going to cause us to either be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. That's where we are. But if you want to break this down into the various chapters, one of the things that we have already noticed is that in chapter 1, if you want to just kind of put a heading over it, it talks about being patient in trouble, patient in trials and difficulties. How can we endure? When you come to chapter 2, practicing the truth. And he talks about favoritism. He talks about doing things that our faith is supposed to be doing so that we have a vibrant, living powerful faith. When we come to chapter 3, he's talking about the power over the tongue. Power over the tongue. And uh, I have uh, I have tried not to discriminate. You'll notice the top are the ladies and the bottom are the men. <laughs> Taming the tongue is perhaps among the most difficult tasks that all of us really have. So when we come to chapter 3, verse 1, we start out with a warning. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we shall incur a stricter judgment or a stricter punishment. Being a teacher is a daunting task. It is a daunting task primarily because you communicate with your mouth and talking. Now, I mentioned last week uh, when we just kind of introduced ourselves to this, that in the New Testament church, in the New Testament era, 
uh, the services of the saints as they gathered was much less structured than it is now. And there would be a degree of freedom that people would have to just stand up during the service and give an exhortation. We looked at a couple places in the New Testament where this apparently happened. A visiting speaker comes in or a guest comes in, and the very fact that they do enter into the uh, assembly, uh, the people would acknowledge their presence and say, do you have anything you would like to te te teach us? Do you have a word of exhortation? And this happened in the case of our Lord Jesus Christ. It happened in the case of the Apostle Paul. Oftentimes when he was on his missionary uh, trips, he would go to the synagogue and people would just say, hey, do you got something for us? It's not quite that structured today. It's a little bit more regulated, a little bit more organized. But nonetheless, to be a teacher and to communicate with your tongue is something that can be very, very persuasive. Now, while I think that this is primarily talking about biblical truth and the need for communicating biblical truth, all the truth of Scripture, the specific details of Scripture, I cannot help but think that it probably overlaps a little bit into teaching in general. Truth that's basically outside the scriptures. When you look at the book of Proverbs, and we'll look at some verses toward the end of our class today from the book of Proverbs, uh, he doesn't talk specifically about truth that is in the Bible. He talks about truth in general and the right information in general. Uh, I suppose, and I, I know I gotta be a little careful here, but uh, we are hearing things today about what children, high schoolers, college students are being exposed to in our academic institutions. And it is absolutely frightening what they are learning, what they are being exposed to. My daughter uh, in California uh, attends uh, the church where John MacArthur is the pastor. And she made a comment, and I may have mentioned this to you once before, but she made a comment that uh, in one of his sermons, John MacArthur said, sending your children to a secular college is the equivalent of making them sit in the seat of the scornful. And that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Uh, I was listening to a newscast just, uh, just recently, and uh, both of the newscasters said they had younger children, and that those children were gonna be growing up and going to various colleges. And this one newscaster said, you know what? I only know of about five universities in the entire United States I would even dare send my children to. That's frightening. I have a son-in-law, and uh, he's married to Esther, and he attended, and I won't tell you what school, but it was a school here in the state of Utah. He said he got his degree from that school, 
he got out in real life and literally had to he had to undo in his thinking everything he learned at that school because he said it was just wrong. I got out in real life and I, he said, it was wrong. It just didn't ring truth. And uh, while he's talking here about biblical truth, I think teaching in general is an overwhelming, daunting task. And he said that there's going to be a stricter judgment. Stricter judgment. Uh, when I think of people that are involved in teaching ministry today and uh, recognize that uh, in any given uh, presentation, they are probably saying 10,000 words. Uh, it's amazing. It's amazing that just a sentence or two can be absolutely off and turn the direction of the whole plot of information. So now he goes on after he talks about that, and he says, I want for you to be aware of, number one, don't be so anxious to be a teacher. Don't be so anxious to communicate things that may not be right and accurate. And he goes on. He says, for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man able to bridle the whole body as well. So as he goes on, he tells us something. Uh, I just happened to see this on the internet. I thought it was kind of cute. Uh, it's, by the way, that's something that has to happen constantly. What he is talking about in this passage, and I suggested this last week, the underlying message of this particular subject, or this section, is how to communicate wisdom. How to communicate wisdom. And he says that later on, when you come down to about verse 13 to 14. He says, you want to communicate wisdom? Well, the best thing to do is not necessarily verbally, but through conduct. And we'll look at this part of it next week. But communicating wisdom is basically what the tongue is supposed to do. But to communicate the right kind of wisdom has to be backed up by a life that is on target. A life that is within the context of quality behavior. And uh, boy, oh boy, that's, uh, that's a tough one. Because if, you know the private life of a lot of teachers, you probably say to yourself, why should I listen to that person? He says one thing in front of people and he lives another way behind. And it could be a he or a she, it doesn't matter. But he says when you come to verse two, if you can control what comes out of your mouth, you can control your whole body. Uh, 
That's amazing, isn't it? Uh, let me move on here just a minute. There are three similes that he mentions in this passage. The bridle, the rudder, and the fire. The first two are positive images. The first two are saying if you can do a bridle a tongue or a rudder uh, on a ship and it, it does what you want, that's a positive thing. The fire down here, however, is a different story. And uh, when we come to the fire, he's going to tell us three things about the tongue. He says, first of all, there's the potential of the tongue. It can control a lot of things. Then there's the peril of the tongue, and then the perversity of the tongue. Let's look at these three things. And uh, I would welcome your comments from this passage or your own experience. A person that can control what they say, James says, is perfect. The uh, Greek word here for perfect does not imply that they are sinless, but it does imply that they're, uh, they're flawless, if you please. Not sinless, but flawless. Uh, here's, here's a person that can say things, they say it the right way, they say it when it needs to be said, and they're flawless. He goes on, he says, now if we put a bit into the horse's mouth so that they may obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Behold the ship also, though they be great and driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So, the bit in the horse's mouth and the rudder. Little tiny things by comparison, but they can control things. Anybody have a comment uh, about this? I am not a, uh, a horseman and I don't do boats, uh, but uh, I suspect that uh, the people that know about these things know that when it comes to guiding a horse and a horse doing what you want, you can so train that horse with the bit and bridle on them that where all you have to do is move the reins like this and then know exactly how to respond. Any horse people in the house? Nope. All right. Well, how many of you ever been on a horse? Dear, raise your hand. Uh, I got to tell you a story about my wife and I before we were married. We, uh, I had this, I had this image before I was married about going horseback riding with my future wife. And so we're, we were in Altoona area, weren't we? And so we found out where we could go, rent a horse, and go riding. <clears throat> Not a good idea. 
and uh, we went riding, and my wife has this, has this thing. If something is bigger than you are, it's to be feared, all right? The horse was bigger than she was, and I am told that a horse knows when you're afraid on it. Is that right? That is true. Well, we went for this ride, I don't know how long it was, 45 minutes to an hour, and she was just having the toughest time. When she got off of the horse at the end of this, quote, date, she said, Never again. Never <laughs> again. And you know, I did not get her on another horse for 30 years. <clears throat> Finally, she got on another horse again, and lo and behold, what happened? Just she got head down and eat. <laughs> <laughs> but, but she was riding with one of our daughters, and did the horse buck you guys off? This was in McDonald, Kansas, right? Oh. I think uh, the horse bucked one of it you off. It was so bad, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the whole idea of a bit and bridle is to control the horse. If you are afraid of the bit and bridle and the horse, they're going to win. Uh, that story had nothing to do with this passage, but it just came to mind. I am not into boats either, but I know enough about boats to where that little rudder can direct them any place you want to go. Doesn't matter what the wind is. I remember years and years ago, my father and I uh, would go up to Strawberry Reservoir fishing. And uh, for some strange reason, we always like to go fishing in November. And uh, if you know anything about Strawberry Reservoir, one of the things that uh, uh, is characteristic of that area in November and December when we were up there fishing is that the storm would come up Daniels Canyon and we could see the storm coming. And so we shouldn't have done this, but we would just direct the boat into the wind and the storm would pass and we were in blizzards, and you know, the amazing thing is every time we got into a blizzard, we started catching fish. I, I can't understand it, but that's what happened. But you know, that little rudder on that boat, and it was just, it's a motorboat, a little like that, it would keep us on course. That's the power of the tongue. It is a positive force in your life, and if you control the tongue, you can control your whole body. Does anybody have a story they would like to tell about how something positive happened that they were involved in when it came to the tongue? We all know the negative side, but any positive stories that anybody would like to tell? Nobody? <laughs> this is this is scary, isn't it? <laughs> scary. Panny, go ahead. I mean this is just, break break the ice for us. Here. This is just a general statement, but 
um, you know, a kind word, a word of encouragement has a, a huge influence on a person's life, especially at times where, you know, things may not be going well. And you certainly can use your tongue to edify and to lift up during those times, and it has a big impact. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Some other comment? Anybody? Tremendous. Go ahead, Cecilia. I think uh, as a parent and now as a grandparent, how you speak to your children uh, is an example of, of what you are eventually, well, you're introducing them to communication, number one, but how you speak to them uh, will carry over for the rest of their lives. Uh, and so if, if you are encouraging and supportive, uh, they will learn to be courage, encouraging and supportive. Uh, if you berate them and belittle them, that's what they will learn. It is interesting that you can compliment people time and time and time and time again. But if you say one negative thing, that's what they're going to remember. Uh, we've all been there. We've all been there. With my, with my kids, with their assorted issues, I have found with my son that if he gets in trouble and he at school and he comes home, if I just talk to him, I don't yell, I don't discipline, I don't talk negatively towards him. If I talk to him, and I'd say, okay, I understand there was an issue. Just explain the issue to me. What happened? You know, I have to have a calm, calm tongue. <laughs> Even if my head's going 100 miles an hour, I have to keep my tongue calm. And it seems to diffuse him from the issue. Mm -hmm. Anyone else? Uh, I think that all of us who are married <coughs> probably can look back over the many, many years of married life and we can say, you know what, <sighs> I probably would have uh, been better off not to say that, even though the intentions were pure. And if something, and the thing that's interesting is you never know you never know how something is going to be received. You never do. And if you would stop perhaps for just a moment or two and think through, can this be understood in a variety of ways? Or is it purely a positive thing? Uh, we all, we've all been there. Children, mates, friends, family, whatever. We've all been there. And uh, that's why he's saying that little thing called the tongue can really get us in trouble. Let's, uh, let's go on. After talking about the potential of the tongue, uh, he tells us about the peril of the tongue. And uh, if you can control that tongue, you can control everything, everything. 
So he goes on and he talks about fire. I mentioned last week that apparently James was very much aware of this. Uh, we don't hear about great fires in uh, the ancient world at any time, but apparently James was accustomed and aware of times in his experience where a little tiny fire sparked a much bigger fire. And so he picks out fire and he says it can be among the most destructive things that we have. My wife and I, some of you know this already, uh, had a uh, absolutely minor house fire in our house in or, uh, 1997. Uh, we were out of our house for one year and two days. Uh, and it was extremely disruptive. It was astounding to us how that 30-minute fire was so incredibly destructive. We had in our one basement room, uh, we were the uh, we were the museum for antique computers back then because we couldn't afford a new one. So we we had. We had several keyboards, I think about three keyboards on this one table hooked up to various monitors. And you know that that fire, that 30 minute fire in that room just literally melted all the key bail, key, keyboards so that they were just all completely fat, uh, fat flat. And well, they were fat too, but anyway, uh, the amazing thing is not just fire, but the smoke damage, uh, it, was, it was just astounding. Uh, now, it turned out to be a blessing. It wasn't a blessing at the time, but it turned out to be a great blessing to have that house fire because uh, when we moved back into our house, uh, it was brand new and it was all paid for. And that uh, was the nicest thing about it. Uh, somehow, God just worked the details out and everything was brand spanking new, but I, I gotta warn you, 20 years later, everything needs replaced, and that's where we are right now. <laughs> but anyway, a fire can be incredibly destructive. Uh, the odd thing is, in our neighborhood, there was a house across the street. They had a 30-minute fire. Two years later, we had a 30-minute fire. Two years later, our neighbor had a 30-minute fire, so we were all kind of a club, you know, in, in our neighborhood. But it was something that was devastating. And uh, I don't know if you have been out to any of our national parks or anything of that nature and seen some of the destruction that just a little tiny fire can cause, and it just grows. That's the tongue. It can destroy. It can devastate. Uh, does anybody have a negative story about something they said to a person that fractured a relationship? This is a learning experience for us, all right? Nobody? I've been ministering to my friend who's ex-LDS. 
You what now again? I'm sorry. I've been ministering for seven years, talking to my... She, does, she doesn't live there anymore. She used to be my neighbor, but she's a former LDS. And I brought up a lot of hard-hitting questions a couple years ago. So my connection with her... This kind of... I get responses about every three months now instead of weekly. I mean, I keep trying. So I, I don't know that conversation that we had <coughs> fractured it, but it was... And, and your intentions were absolutely pure, right? Oh yeah, I mean, I didn't, I mean, I wanted her to know, but I don't know if I went too far, because I know in the last couple of years it just hasn't, I keep trying. But the uh, could it be is is it safe to say that the two most dangerous subjects that you can talk about are religion and politics? <laughs> they are lethal right now, aren't they? Boy, they are lethal. And uh, do we have stories, or what do do we have stories about that? Well, no. I mean, Facebook has fractured my mom's family. Mm -hmm. Oh, really? Because of politics. Mm -hmm. I mean, my mom's not on Facebook, but I watched her, a couple of her cousins go at each other over politics. And we were supposed to have a family reunion to summer. I mean, you know, we didn't have it because it was 2020, but we weren't going to have it anyways because none of the family wanted to see each other. <laughs> Very interesting. But I watched my mom's cousins go at each other verbally on Facebook. I, admittedly, it is easy to talk about quote-unquote religion when you're on the same page. And it's easy to talk about politics when you're on the same page. But boy, if you're on the opposite side of the person you're talking to, it is difficult, very difficult. Uh, I have two friends who are pretty much on the same side, which I am on the opposite side. You just keep your, keep your mouth shut. But how, how do you go about communicating with an individual who you want to, if I can say it like this, enlighten? <laughs> how do you do it? You, uh, you, you find a different topic mm -hmm. that you both can actually agree on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's how you can keep the communication going. Yeah. But you specifically avoid those areas that you know are going to be trouble. <clears throat> that's, that describes uh, significant portions of, of my family. So we just don't yep. go there. 
because like a fire, it's going to escalate mm -hmm. if you dwell, talk about the differences. It's going to escalate. On, on our most recent trip back east, we stopped in to see a guy that I traveled in uh, for a summer with during, when I was in the uh, traveling quartet for the school. And uh, he was a professor at the school at the time. And we have just stayed friends for years and years. Well, the interesting thing is in his situation, uh, his wife died this last spring. Uh, so he has this monster house that he's all alone in. Well, he has invited one of his daughters to live there. And she is a born-again believer, but she is uh, kind of drifted away from the things of the Lord. And she is on the other side of the political ledger, and she is not really walking with the Lord. And so I ask, I ask him, how in the world are you going to live with these people in your house when, as near as I know, there is almost nothing in common spiritually or politically? Uh, there might be one or two other subjects you can talk about. But <laughs> What's for breakfast? <laughs> What's for breakfast? <laughs> That's right. Uh, Republican yogurt, I don't know. <laughs> you know, it seems like we're supposed to be a more tolerant society, but it seems like mm -hmm. 20 or 30 years ago when I was growing up, I recall conversations with my parents and their friends where they disagreed with politics or they disagreed with this, that, or the other, and it never escalated to, to a shouting match or I don't like you anymore. But now it's, it's, you can't talk with anybody if they disagree with you. So rather than being a tolerant society, we've become an extremely intolerant society. That, that's an excellent point. Excellent point. What I have heard him say is that I don't have to tolerate what hurts me. Huh. I guess not. <laughs> yep. But politics shouldn't hurt you. It's it's a conversation about what you what you think and believe. No, you need a safe space. You need people who agree with you, not people who disagree. Trouble is, politics has become religion. It's their salvation. Yeah. So that's the trouble. Politics are coming. What, Dave? It has become religion. That's the trouble. Uh, that's a that's a good point. And I think yeah. that another thing. Uh, and I know I got to be careful when I say this, but another thing is that uh, for those of us who are on the more conservative side of the ledger, we see things that we, uh, traditions that are just disappearing, uh, just, they're, they're just evaporating. And it, it, it's hard on us, it, it hurts. But anyway, let's, uh, let's move on just a little bit. Uh, one of the interesting things that this passage does talk about is it can destroy and defile the perversity of the tongue. The uh, tongue is inconsistent in its behavior. It can be a positive thing. It can be a negative thing. We can train just about everything out there except the tongue. 
And uh, that's what he goes on. So let me, if I may, just conclude with uh, a series of passages from the book of Proverbs that talk about the tongue because these are things that probably are little pegs that we can we can put our thoughts on and uh, it'll be helpful to us. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver, but the heart of the wicked is of little value. These are all taken from various translations. The lips of the righteous know what is fitting, but the mouth of the wicked only what is perverse. Another. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouth of the fool gushes folly. The tongue has power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. The New American Standard, I think, says this a slightly different way, which I'd like to suggest. Like apples of gold and settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. Um, positive, positive uh, reinforcement for how we conduct our speech. Thank you. Uh, this is probably among one of the most difficult areas of our life because who in the room doesn't like to talk? That's the way we communicate. That's the way we pass on information. Thank you very much. Have a good day.